0: Bhagavad Gita as it is, chapter 13, which has 35 verses, is called Nature, the Enjoyer, and Consciousness. In the first seven verses, Krishna will answer a question of Arjuna regarding the field and its knower. Please listen very carefully. Arjuna said, O oh my dear Krishna, I wish to know about Prakriti, nature, and Purusha, the enjoyer, and the field and the knower of the field, of knowledge and the object of knowledge. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, This body, O son of Kunti, is called the field. And one who knows this body is called the knower of the field. O scion of Bart, you should understand that I am also the knower in all bodies. And to understand this body and its knower is called knowledge. That is my opinion. So it appears from this chapter so far, Krishna is further enlightening us. On topics which he discussed at the very beginning of Bhagavad Gita in chapter 2. But here we get more detailed information. The soul, the individual person, is the proprietor of the body. And here Krishna has used the Sanskrit word kshetra or field to represent the body. So in every single body, there is the soul, or the knower of that field, or the knower of that body. But what is very significant is that Krishna said, I am the knower of everybody. He has already several times indicated that He is manifested in everyone's heart as the super soul, technically known as Paramatma, the Lord in the heart. And here He has made it very clear. That there are two knowers of each individual body. There is the individual soul, and there is Krishna Himself. He is also the knower of each field or each body. This is very important. Krishna continues. Now, please hear my brief description of this field of activity and how it is constituted, what its changes are whence it is produced, and who that knower of the field of activity is, and what his or her influences are. That knowledge of the field of activities and of the knower of activities is described by various sages in various Vedic writings. It is especially presented in the Vedānta-sūtra with all reasoning as to cause and effect. The Vedanta Sutra is a highly philosophical work which was compiled by Krishna himself in a particular incarnation known as Veda Vyas, Vyasa Dev. He is considered to be the literary incarnation of Krishna. This Vedanta Sutra explains the end of all knowledge, Veda-anta, the end of knowledge, and it is extremely philosophical and is based on the principle, as he mentioned here, cause and effect. Krishna continues, the five great elements, false ego, intelligence, the unmanifested, the ten senses and the mind, the sense objects, Desire, hatred, happiness, distress, the aggregate, the life symptoms, and convictions. All these are considered, in summary, to be the field of activities and its interactions. So here, Krishna just outlined 31 different items which indicate the field of activities. Now, In verses 8 through 12, Krishna will explain the process of knowledge humility, pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance, simplicity, approaching a bona fide spiritual master, cleanliness, steadiness, self control renunciation of the objects of sense gratification, absence of false ego, the perception of the evil of birth, death, old age and disease, detachment, freedom from entanglement with children, wife, home and the rest, even-mindedness amidst pleasant and unpleasant events, constant an unalloyed devotion to Me, aspiring to live in a solitary place, detachment from the general mass of people, accepting the importance of self-realization and the philosophical search for the absolute truth. All these I declare to be knowledge, and besides this, whatever there may be, is simply ignorance. So, Krishna just mentioned 20 items which constitute knowledge. Among them, humility was the first thing he mentioned. Because unless there is humility, there is no question of acquiring knowledge. Humility means to understand that one is nothing more nor nothing less than the eternal servant of Krishna. That is humility. Krishna also mentioned approaching a bona fide spiritual master. He already told Arjuna that in chapter 4 that if he wanted to understand sacrifice, he needed to approach a spiritual master in submission and inquiries and service. Krishna also mentioned here in these 20 items constant and unalloyed devotion to him. This has been repeated throughout Bhagavad Gita as the actual culmination, the real thing that one should be gleaning from Bhagavad Gita, that one should surrender and give all of one's love and devotion to Krishna. Now, in verses 13 through 18, Krishna will explain his manifestation as the Supersoul. So far, he has simply mentioned that he is simply the Supersoul, the Lord in the heart. Now he will explain more details about his manifestation as the Lord in each and everyone's heart. I shall now explain the knowable, knowing which, you will taste the Eternal. Brahman, the Spirit, is beginningless. And subordinate to me, and it lies beyond the cause and effect of this material world. Yes, cause and effect, that's for those who are in the material world under the grip of the laws of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. But God, manifested as the super soul in everyone's heart, He is beyond cause and effect because He's transcendental. He does not identify with this material world. Everywhere are his hands and legs, his eyes, heads, and faces. And he has ears everywhere. In this way, the super soul exists, pervading everything. So, because Krishna is within everyone's heart, and in fact, even within every atom, in this way, Krishna, as Supersoul, is all pervading. There's no place that He doesn't exist. He exists everywhere. He continues The Supersoul is the original source of all senses, yet He is without material senses. This is significant. Nothing is independent from Krishna or God, nothing is separate or independent from the Absolute Truth. By definition, the Absolute Truth is the source of everything that exists. So if we have senses, those senses only can exist because originally they are there in the Absolute Truth Himself. But the difference is that currently we have material senses, but the Supersoul does not have material senses. He has transcendental or spiritual senses. He continues. He is unattached, although he is the maintainer of all living beings. He transcends the modes of nature, and at the same time, he is the master of all the modes of material nature. So, Krishna is outlining the superiority of the position he has as the super soul in comparison to the individual soul or the Individual knower of each body. The Supreme Truth exists outside and inside all living beings. So, although He's within the heart, Krishna also has His separate existence outside. We were privy to this in Chapter 9 when Krishna was explaining His simultaneous oneness and difference from everything. How he is in this material world and at the same time separate from it. He exists outside and inside, the moving and the non moving. And because he is subtle, he is beyond the power of the material senses to see or to know. There is one name for God, Adhokshaja. That's what Krishna just explained. Adhokshaja means God. Is beyond the power of man, independently by his limited senses, to come to the understanding of God. Already, it was explained in Chapter Eleven, at the end, after Krishna showed the universal Vishvarupa form to Arjuna, and then Arjuna wanted to see Krishna in his four-arm form, and then in his most beloved two-arm form. It was at that time Krishna reiterated that it is only by surrender, only by devotional loving service can He be understood. Man will never be able to figure out on his own or measure or grasp by his own senses who is God. It is only by this loving service. So therefore God is known at Hoksaja. He is beyond the range of man's senses to understand. If God reveals, then you can see. And how does God reveal? When your senses are purified by loving service. Although far, far away, He is also near to all. Krishna exists in His abode in the spiritual world, which is billions and trillions of miles away, and yet he is the closest thing to the individual soul because he's right there in your heart. Nobody can be closer. So, this is what we mean by simultaneously one and different the paradox. He is the farthest and at the same time the nearest. This is Krishna. Although the super soul appears to be divided among all beings. He is never divided. The great Bishma gives us a nice example that at the noontime the sun is in the sky. There is one sun. Now let's say you have a field of pots of water, say a thousand pots of water. So at noontime, if you look in each of those pots of water, you will see a reflection of the sun in the water. But there's only one sun, but that one sun is being reflected in each pot. So similarly, there's one God, but He is being reflected in each and every body as the super soul. This is the understanding. He is situated as one, although He is the maintainer of every living entity, it is to be understood that He develops and devours all. He is the source of light in all luminous objects. In other words, without Krishna, there can be no sunlight or moonlight. Nothing is independent of Krishna. This is a most important concept to be learned from Bhagavad Gita. Nothing is independent of Krishna. He is beyond the darkness of this material world, matter, and the unmanifested. He is knowledge. He is the object of knowledge and he is the goal of knowledge. So just see Krishna is the object of knowledge. He is knowledge itself and he is the goal. He is everything. He is situated in everyone's heart. So now Krishna will help us to understand something about the soul and the super soul. Let us see. How they are simultaneously one and at the same time different. This philosophy is called Achintya Beda Abeda Tattva. Krishna now says Thus, the field of activities, the body, knowledge, and the knowable have been summarily described by me. Only my devotees can understand this thoroughly and thus attain to my nature. We've heard this before. Attaining Krishna's nature, that is called Brahma Bhuta, the spiritual platform. Krishna's nature is eternal, sat, full of knowledge, chit, and full of bliss, ananda. And you and I, as part and parcel of Krishna, this is our nature also. But because we have come to this material world, and because we have accepted and identified with the material body mind and senses we lose or we become disinherited from our original position of equal status to krishna as sat ananda eternal knowledgeable and blissful it's only because we identify with this body that we suffer so therefore If we understand Krishna, if we surrender to Krishna, if we follow Bhagavad Gita, we can regain our original pure spiritual status just like Krishna. This is why we should study and practice Bhagavad Gita. Krishna continues Material nature and the living entity should be understood to be beginningless. We learned this in chapter 2 when Krishna said, never was there a time when i did not exist nor you nor all these kings and neither in the future shall any of us cease to be this is what we call eternality of the soul so that's why he says beginningless the body it has a beginning you look at your birth certificate that is the beginning of your body but that's not the beginning of you because you have no beginning you're eternal Their transformations and the modes of matter are products of material nature. The body is going through transformations, but not the soul. We also learned in chapter 2, in those 20 verses, where Krishna explained the difference between the body and the soul, matter and spirit, that which is eternal and that which is temporary. We learned that the soul is changeless, but the body is going through changes. Right? There's the birth, then it gets older, youth, adolescence, adulthood. We are perceiving imperceptibly, actually, how the body is changing. But you, the soul, the person, the knower of the field, in terms of this chapter, is changeless. He continues Nature is said to be the cause of all material causes and effects. Again, cause and effect was introduced at the beginning of this chapter. That is how this material nature works. Everything is cause and effect. That's the basis of karma. Karma means you do some action and it produces a particular reaction or fruit. That is the whole basis of karma. It's based on this principle, cause and effect. Whereas the living entity is the cause of the various sufferings and enjoyments in this world. This we learned in Chapter 5 also, that we cannot blame God for our destiny or fate. We have to take responsibility. The reason we are in the particular situation we find ourselves right now is because of the various choices and decisions we have made. I've several times given you the understanding door number one, door number two, door number three. Every moment you're deciding whether to go down the path of the mode of goodness, the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance. In the next chapter, we will learn the differences between these three modes of nature. And then there's another door, the door that Krishna has been emphasizing all throughout Bhagavad Gita, the door of transcendence, bhakti yoga devotional service Krishna consciousness this is what Krishna has been saying even at the beginning in chapter 2 he said to Arjuna become transcendental to these modes of nature we will learn at the end of the next chapter the only way to become transcendental is to do devotional bhakti yoga Krishna consciousness 24-7 so whatever is happening to me I can't blame anyone but myself because I am the master of my own destiny because of the choices I make, good or bad, intelligent or less intelligent. Krishna continues, The living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of material nature. This is interesting. Although the mode of ignorance is actually suffering, the conditioned soul is so bewildered that the conditioned soul thinks he or she is enjoying while actually one is suffering. We, I'll give you a good example. You look at the life of a hog and as a human being if I was to say to you, so would you like to become a hog? You would say, no, it is a very obnoxious existence. But the soul in the body of the hog thinks, I am very happy. This is the bewildering feature of Krishna's illusory energy. That even in the mode of ignorance when one is suffering, actually, one is thinking, I am very happy. There is a very nice story to illustrate this from the Puranas. That one time Indra was cursed, Indra the king of heaven, He was cursed by a rishi to take birth as a hog. And when Indra took the birth of a hog, he had a nice hog wife, he had a nice hog family, and he was enjoying life as a hog. Lord Brahma, the Creator, he felt compassion. Oh, Indra has fallen down to the life of a hog. So Lord Brahma came to Indra in the form of a hog and said, Indra, Why don't you come back and be king of heaven? This is not good for you. And what did Indra say in the form of a hog? What? I'm happy here. I have my wife. I have my children. I have my nice life as a hog. Why should I? I'm happy. Then Brahma was about to draw a sword and kill Indra. And then Indra realized, oh, this is not a very good idea. So then Indra agreed. To return as King of Heaven. So, this is a nice illustration of this point that even in the mode of ignorance, you can become very, very content and happy. And that's why Krishna says, enjoying the three modes of nature. But from Krishna's point of view, even if it's the mode of goodness, it's not really enjoying. Real enjoyment is the spiritual, transcendental, Krishna platform. Enjoying the three modes of nature, and this is due to one's association with that material nature. Thus, one meets with good and evil among various species. Again, cause and effect. And we will learn more about this in the next chapter and also in chapters 17 and 18 when Krishna gives more details about the effects the cause and effects of the three modes of nature. Now Krishna continues, yet in this body there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord, the Supreme Proprietor, who exists as the overseer and permitter, and who is known as the Supersoul. So He has explained the knower of the field, the individual soul, and he is making choices and enjoying the effects of the modes of nature. But as he said at the beginning, there are two knowers of the field. Now he has explained that second knower, the Supersoul. And what is the Supersoul doing? Overseeing and sanctioning or permitting. There is a nice analogy in the Upanishads, to illustrate this point. The analogy is there are two birds sitting on the branch of a tree. One bird, which represents the individual soul, is flying from branch to branch. Why? Because the bird wants to taste the different fruits. Now, the analogy is complete because the branch of the tree represents the material body and the fruits of the tree, those are the, actually there's only two fruits, happiness and distress. That's all you can experience in the terms of the material body, happiness and distress. So the one bird is flying from branch to branch, tasting the different fruits of happiness and distress. The other bird does not fly from branch to branch and is completely happy and peaceful just in knowledge of itself, and that's the Supersoul, that Krishna. Kṛṣṇa. Two birds sitting in a tree is a very nice example. So the Supersoul, he is witnessing what the living entity is desiring, and in due course of time the Supersoul sanctions. Later on in Chapter 18, we will learn that there are five causes for the results of any activity. And the fifth factor, which is the ultimately the determining factor, is Krishna as supersal. Unless he sanctions, nothing happens. I'll give you an example. A farmer may have a very nice field, and the farmer may plant very nice seeds, but even with this, sometimes there is no agricultural production even if there is sufficient rain because in every material activity unless there is the sanction of God nothing becomes fruitful the atheists or the materialists they think everything is simply a combination of material cause and effects but they cannot explain why when everything is done nicely materially sometimes still there is no proper result, and that is because they cannot see this fifth factor of Krishna, the Supersoul, sanctioning or permitting. Krishna continues One who understands this philosophy concerning material nature, the living entity, and the interaction of the modes of nature is sure to attain liberation. So this is the benefit of studying Bhagavad Gita. That if you understand these concepts, you can become liberated. We remember in chapter 4 when Krishna said that if you understand the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities, you will not, upon leaving this body, come back again. You will attain my eternal abode. So just for this uh, benefit just for the sake of understanding Bhagavad Gita rightly you can become liberated. Why then would someone not want to read Bhagavad Gita? It is beyond me. Krishna continues. Such a person will not take birth here again regardless of one's present position. Because one someone may be thinking, "Oh, I'm born very low. I'm a Shudra or less than a Shudra." And therefore, I will have to gradually elevate myself higher and higher. And then when I become a brahmana, then I can achieve liberation. But that's not what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. He says, if regardless of your situation now, if you develop this Bhagavad Gita, Krishna consciousness, you can achieve liberation. In chapter 9, he said the same thing. He said, doesn't matter if you're born of a low birth. You can attain the topmost position simply by this Krishna consciousness. In the next two verses, Krishna will explain who can clearly see what is going on in this world. Here's what Krishna says. Some people perceive the super soul within themselves through meditation. And that's actually uh, the recommended process, especially in the age of Satya Yuga, the recommended process of self realization was meditation on Krishna within the heart. And there are examples of this, such as Narada, who at the age of five was able to see Krishna in the heart. Others through the cultivation of knowledge, and still others through working without fruitive desires. So, Krishna explained that these three different ways are means by which you can perceive the Supersoul. Again, there are those who, although not conversant with spiritual knowledge, begin to worship the Supreme Person upon hearing about Him from others. And that would be my case. That because I Heard from my spiritual master about Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, then by his association, I began to study seriously this knowledge of Bhagavad Gita. Because of their tendency to hear from authorities, they also transcend the path of birth and death. This path of birth and death was mentioned in chapter 9, where Krishna said, that anyone who does not perform devotional service, they will have to walk down the path of birth and death. But there's another path, the path of liberation. And that can be learned by following Bhagavad Gita, by surrendering, by loving Krishna. This chapter will now end in verses 27 through 35. And Krishna will finalize who can actually see things as they are. O chief of the bārts, know that whatever you see in existence, both the moving and the non-moving, is only a combination of the field of activities and the knower of the field. So that means, we recall in this chapter, he itemized a different... um, field of activities and he has already explained the knower of the field the individual soul one who sees the super soul accompanying the individual soul in all bodies and who understands that neither the soul nor the super soul within are destructible is ever destroyed and he actually sees so we learned this in chapter 2 how the body is perishable and the individual soul and in this verse we learn even the Supersoul or shall we say what to speak of the Supersoul is ever destructible. For the soul slays not nor is slain if you recall chapter 2. The soul is imperishable. One who sees the Supersoul equally present everywhere in every living being does not degrade him or herself by one's mind. Thus one approaches the transcendental destination. So we also learned in chapter 5 how the humble sages see equally different bodies because they are seeing the soul and super soul and as we learned here equally. The soul is the same in quality within each body and there's we learned in this chapter there's only one super-soul, although manifested in every body. I gave the example of the one sun manifested in the pots of water. So if one has this vision, that things are simultaneously one and different, then you can approach the transcendental destination. Krishna continues, one who can see that all activities are performed by the body, which is created of material nature and sees that the self does nothing actually sees. Yes, the soul is simply desiring, Krishna is sanctioning, and everything else that's going on in this material world is like a machine, cause and effect happening the body and the modes of nature. That's all that's going on. The soul is actually doing nothing. It's simply experiencing or witnessing the reactions of the body, mind and senses with the modes of nature and the objects of the senses. When a sensible person ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies and one sees how beings are expanded everywhere, one attains to the Brahman conception. Again. This is very reminiscent of what we learned in Chapter 5, Pandita Samadarshanaha. The learned person goes beyond the ephemeral differences between bodies and understands that in the background there is simply the soul and the Supersoul. Those with the vision of eternity can see that the imperishable soul is transcendental eternal and beyond the modes of nature despite contact with the material body the soul does nothing nor is it entangled same concept krishna is repeating it the soul is simply existing the all the different causes and effects are happening on the material plane now he gives a nice example to help illustrate this point the sky, due to its subtle nature, does not mix with anything, although it is all pervading. So, now try to visualize this, this is a nice example given by Krishna. The sky is all pervading, but it doesn't mix with anything. Similarly, the soul, situated in Brahman vision, does not mix with the body, although situated in that body. Again, Chintya bheda bheda tattva The soul is in the body but technically not. This takes some time to understand completely. And as you progress in your study of Bhagavad Gita, and especially as you perform Krishna consciousness or devotional service, you will get a realization of these concepts. I've been practicing Bhagavad Gita for over 30 years. It's not that I had so much of a high realization at the beginning, but because, as we learned in this chapter, I heard from the authority, I heard from my spiritual master. And because I engaged in Krishna consciousness, then little by little the realization or understanding of Bhagavad Gita becomes more enhanced. Bhagavad Gita is not simply an academic study. No, there is requirement of realization. We learned that in Chapter 6. The yogi, by means of acquired knowledge and realization. Realization comes when you begin to put the Bhagavad Gita into practice. If someone simply academically studies Bhagavad Gita, they're going to get very little realization. But when you begin to walk the walk, when you begin to talk the talk, in other words, when you begin to practice what Krishna is saying in Bhagavad Gita, then the knowledge becomes something that you tangibly taste. Throughout this Bhagavad Gita, Krishna has given definite instructions always chanting. So if you chant Krishna's name, you will get realization. He also said, do everything for Me. Whatever you eat, offer to Me. So if we do these things, if we always think of Him, if we bow down to Him, if we worship Him, when we actually do these things, then we will get realization. But unless we do these things, you won't get very much realization. Krishna continues, O son of Bharat, as the sun alone illuminates all this universe, so does the living entity, one within the body, illuminate the entire body by consciousness. So hopefully you have seen how this chapter is very reminiscent of what we learned in chapter 2 in the 20 verses where Krishna explained the difference between the body and the soul. But here we have gotten more details. And this example that Krishna has given one sun in the sky illuminates everything. The sun is so powerful. In the same way, the individual soul is so powerful that it pervades the entire body with consciousness. Final verse of this chapter Those who see with the eyes of knowledge. The difference between the body and the knower of the body, and who can also understand the process of liberation from bondage in material nature, they attain to the supreme goal. So, that process, that is what Krishna has been saying all along devotional service, Krishna consciousness, hearing, chanting, praying, serving. Remembering, worshipping, doing everything for Krishna. And what is the supreme goal? He has already mentioned that in chapter 8. The supreme goal is Krishna's abode, where Krishna is eternally existing with all of his other devotees. And they're waiting for you. Yes, you can enter. And we learned already, Krishna said, Having gone there, you don't come back here. So, what are we waiting for? We should immediately engage in Krishna consciousness. And it's very simple. Even a child can engage in Krishna consciousness. So, I want you all now to fold your hands and from your heart of hearts engage in chanting Krishna's holy name Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna.